All right. Well, good morning, Life Point. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Good to see you guys. My name is Q. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Really excited to be uh, able to, to share with you this morning. But before I, I, I give thanks, I don't know if we've done this yet. I just want to give credit. Uh, you see a player kind of going through getting suited up in that. That's actually Bo Brock. He's right over here. Uh, he's getting his Boaz Pirate stuff on. And they just won their, the playoff game. So they're going the second round. So congratulations, Bo, on that. Yeah, thanks for doing that. It's awesome. Um, so there's so many awesome students from all different schools that come here. I do need help from a student. Anybody want to help? Who's helping? You guys are helping? To reveal our next uh, staff fathead here. So this is a good one. It's the rule keeper of Life Point. Um, yeah, go right ahead. I don't know if there's been a much more honest representation. Keeps us in line, tells us when we're uh, out of bounds, and lets us know. So, uh, good job. That is Tammy. You know, she has been with us, gosh, maybe as long as any of our staff members. So, um, awesome, awesome job there. Um, and then I want to give this announcement before I kind of hop into things. There's going to be a table out in the uh, foyer area right over here on those walls. We're getting in the season where we start participating, get involved in the ministry, Room in the Inn, which is for our our friends and neighbors who find themselves houseless currently. Uh, we and a lot of other churches work through the cold months of our, our year to allow them one night a month they come stay here. <clears throat> during that time, <clears throat> excuse me, during that time we want to make sure they have a good meal to eat. So there's people that will be coming and bringing dinner and fixing dinner for them. Um, there will be people that will stay with them, just come hang out with them, stay overnight as they're sleeping, make sure no shenanigans happen of any kind, make sure they're safe. Um, so that's all volunteer ran. So if you're trying to look for a way to, to kind of get your, you know, get, get a chance to do some ministry, uh, do some mission work, this is a very clear place where the Lord has told us those are people we should care about. And so it's a really easy way to spend time getting there. If, if you can't, when you go by, go by and talk to Tiffany. She's going to be out there. She helps run that ministry. If you go out there and those dates don't work for you, then, man, there's other times you can volunteer. You can volunteer in the day room. Uh, that's just a great place for you to be able to serve and get involved. So uh, check that out before you leave this morning. So now we're in this series, Suit Up. I got to kick it off, and Matt and Clay have done a fantastic job thus far. Uh, and we're moving through these different pieces of the armor of God. And so if you've been keeping up with it, you kind of know where we're at. If you haven't, I'm going to kind of go through this so you can kind of see where we're at. And I'd encourage you to go back and make sure you listen to some of these other messages. Uh, it, it would help you as you're trying to figure out how all this armor works. And, and Matt said it probably best, actually, in the second sermon that he gave in this series. He made this statement that he's made before. I think it's one we've, we've heard before. But he says that uh, God has a plan for your life, and you don't want to miss it. God has a plan for your life, and you don't want to miss it. And we've been talking about how the armor of God is these pieces that, that Paul's telling the Ephesians, this is how you live out the plan God has for your life. There's going, to be, there's going to be an enemy that's going to come against you. It's going to try to stop you from living out the plan of your life, for your life. And the way you stand against that enemy is you put on what we've come to know as the armor of God. And so I want to kind of walk through that with you, kind of what we went through. And then I want to spend some time focused on a specific piece of the armor this morning. So let me pray, and then we're going to hop into that. God, uh, be with us this morning. God, open us to uh, hear from you. 
God, teach us. Uh, let us see some things maybe that we haven't seen. Let us be real honest with ourselves this morning, God. And allow your Holy Spirit to do a work in us. Uh, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's kind of get caught up a bit, if you will. So in Ephesians, oh, that's not good. Matt's done something to my, oh, me. Hold on one second. Let me just see if I can fix it for you. <clears throat> Is that up there? Mm. Oh, good. Oh, good. All right, Ephesians. Chapter 6, and we start with verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Really tell the Ephesians, don't. You've got to be strong, but it's not in your own strength. It's in the strength of the Lord, right? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And, and Matt did a good job talking about this, how, <clears throat> again, there's, there's someone scheming against you. There's evil forces scheming against you, trying to keep you from living that life that God has for you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And saying, hey, the, the battle, the, the, sometimes it feels like what's trying to keep you from living the life you're called to is, is like other people or, you know, maybe some boss or some person that's, you know, stabbed you in the back or somebody that's frustrated you. But the real battle that's taking place isn't against flesh and blood, it's against these spiritual powers he goes through a list of, and they're coming against us, this, this, this darkness, this evil. And then it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And now he's about to go through the list of these pieces of armor. And again, I can't spend a lot of time on each of these, so if you haven't had a chance to hear those sermons, the last three sermons... Matt did two of them, Clay did one. They're great, fantastic. It says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It says, these are the pieces of armor that we get mentioned to us thus far. And now we're going to come to the fourth piece of armor. And I want to read it to you, and then I want to talk about it a little bit, and, and, and us explore how do we... Make sure we're taking up this piece of armor. And it's a word that's central to Christianity. It's central to living. It's central to life. It's something that we really have to have in some form or fashion. And, and this is it. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of, say it with me, faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, the flaming darts thing's interesting. Let me just kind of hit that for a second. You're like, man, flaming darts, that's weird. Like, you know, what is that? Uh, at the time, the, the like peak of Roman war technology, see, used to, they, they kind of had bow and arrows going now, right? They're shooting these arrows at people. But people got good with their shields of blocking the arrows. So the Romans had this idea, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap some cloth that's maybe been doused in some oil of some sort around our arrows, and we're going to shoot them. We're going to light them on fire, and we're going to shoot them. And then when they hit their wooden shield, it catches the wooden shield on fire, and it destroys the shield. 
But the shields now that the, the Romans would have been using to counteract this, because everybody followed their warfare tactics, right? The shields that the Romans would have been using to counteract this is a pretty large shield, all right? And they would take strips of leather and they would soak them. And then they would wrap the shield in these strips of leather after they'd been soaked in water. So now when the darts would hit, they just fizzle out. They can't burn through the leather. And this is the shield that's talking about that's extinguishing all the flaming darts. So this would be a language that they would have understood at the time. This is how uh, the advancement of you know, warfare had taken place in, in, in that time frame. Uh, but it says, for us, take up the shield of faith. This shield that can extinguish these attacks that are coming from the evil one, our enemy, Satan. And here's the thing. Faith, man, faith is interesting. Look, like, to think about that, first off, like, faith. Faith is something that we use all the time. Like, all the time we're going to use faith. Like, I remember one time I was uh, flying back to Oregon before my family. They, we would come for two weeks in the summer when I lived out there. I would stay for a week. They'd stay for an extra week. I'd fly out by my, back by myself. And I got to the airport. And I'm not, I always get there early because I think something's going to go wrong. I just had this fear. And one time it did where I chased airplanes. If you're ever chasing airplanes in an airport, it feels like the most futile thing. Like I remember this one time I was chasing, trying to catch it. And they go, oh no, you need to be at this gate. And then you're like running. And they're like, no, that's not this gate you need to be at. So I finally went to somebody at some desk away from the gate and said, hey, I'm going one more place. And we're going to make sure when I leave this desk that I'm going to the place you tell me to be. And it's going to be the right place. Like, can we figure out that one place? So I got to the airport early and I was just sitting there waiting to board the plane to go back to Eugene. I was in Huntsville. And you know how you'll see the pilots walk up to the plane? Well, these pilots come walking in. They're like carrying their little, you know, rolling their little like thing behind them, right? And uh, one of them looked like they were 17 years old. And I thought, I'm going to get on this plane with this 17-year-old driving this plane. What am I doing? Like you can't. You can't do anything. Like, if things go bad, there's no, like, grabbing the steering wheel. You know? There's no, like, if it goes real bad, there's no, like, opening the door and just jumping out and rolling on the street. It's not happening. Like, if it goes bad, like, well, it's just bad. Like, it's done. And I remember thinking, man, I guess I've, it's been a good life, you know, if this guy can't figure this out. If, I'm like, I hope it's in his first flight. And I get on, and about halfway through the flight, they turn a the little like, light on where you have to fasten your seatbelt. And they say, um, we're going to be heading through some storms and facing some turbulence. Please fasten your seatbelt. Which I'm like, okay, I've done that before. I flew enough. But then I flew enough to know this too. Then the, uh, the, stewardships, the stewardess, they went and buckled themselves in. And that's when you know things are real. I don't know if they got like some secret little thing that's told them. that you're like, hey, you better buckle. Like, then you're like, oh, you're not going to, okay, okay. You're talking from your little phone now, you know, and you're strapped in. And at some point, it gets real rocky, like, you know, like, okay, we're all right. Everything's good. And everybody's kind of, like, nervous. And at some point, that plane felt like it dropped, like, 25 feet just all of a sudden, like, and my stomach went up in my throat. And somebody behind me went, ah! And there's this piece of you that, I don't know, when you try to hold it together, you're like, so, well, everything's okay. But inside you're like, 
well, I hope my wife knows I love her and it's been a great life and everybody, you know, but inside, inside you're trying to hold it together. But in that moment, I put all my faith in this young guy driving this plane. He got us there, got through it, great job, you know. But then, on the opposite side of that, one day my wife made uh, taco soup. I don't know if you have a wife that makes taco soup. It's amazing, all right? If you have a wife that makes taco soup, you should tell her thank you. It's fabulous, you know. There's all different kind of versions of it. I love it with the corn, you know. I like that white shoe peg corn. I don't know why. I don't know what that is. I don't know what shoe peg corn means, but I love it, all right? It's probably just a ploy to make me pay $2 more for a can of corn. Who knows? But one day we're eating it. And if you ever get a bowl of really good taco soup, there's a few things you have to do. You can get some Fritos and put on it, you know. Some cheese on top. It starts kind of, kind of melting a little bit. But the key, the key, because you want that stuff popping hot. And the key is you don't want to sit there and have to blow on it. That's just, you know, that just doesn't make any sense. So the key is you get you some sour cream and you put on top of it and it cools it off. It's perfect. So we'd made some, my wife had made some taco soup. I'm going there, I'm scavenging the things, and the sour cream's not easily reachable. So I'm moving things away, and then I see this lone container of sour cream that looks like it already been open. And so I pull it out, and you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, it's fine, it's fine. And it's got an expiration date of like two weeks, you know. Everyone's like, oh no, two weeks. So I open it, and then and there's this liquid. You ever had to have the sour cream liquid pour out, where you like pour the liquid off the top of it? In that moment, I just couldn't make myself to do it. I just, I just did not have enough faith <laughs> that the sour cream was going to treat me right. But it's funny. In life, I would put more faith in a 17-year-old. I know he wasn't 17, but it looked like a 17-year-old driving some however many ton bird through the air than I would this curdled milk substance. Like, I just had more faith there. But it's every day. We're trying to figure out, like, faith and how we have faith and what we have faith in. I mean, it's this thing that, that we can't get away from. Like, we're going to put our faith in, in different things. We're going to have faith in something. There's faith in every decision we're making. It's part of who we are. It's part of how we were created. Like, we're going to have this faith. And, and here's the thing. Like, he said, you need to realize that when the enemy comes against you, it's going to be your faith that's going to defend you. It's going to be the faith that's going to extinguish those darts when the enemy tries to attack you. And the thing really with faith that tries to get us is this idea of fear. Like, like the, the enemy is going to attack us. And from the, the beginning, when the enemy's been trying to attack, and it attacked Jesus in the, in the, in the uh, desert and went out to, to the, I mean, the wilderness, and, and, and they had this conversation, and he kept trying to tempt Jesus to do something and saying, hey, you can have all this, you can have all this. But really, the, the root of it was if you don't have all this, you'll have nothing. And for us too, like the, the temptation a lot of times of, of, of having faith is like we get pressed on these darts, hit us in these areas and say, hey, you, you can't do that. You don't need to do that. You need to just hold on to what you got. You need to stay right there. And there's this fear that if we try to do something more or be something more or we try to, try to, to live the story God has for us, right? If he has a plan for us to try to walk in that plan, and the enemy's trying to make us miss it. The enemy wants you to miss it, wants me to miss it, wants me to try to follow my own path and not do or follow the path God has planned for me. Faith protects us from that. But what is, like, 
if we really want to try to, from a spiritual context, try to define faith, because we know we use faith all the time, but what is faith? And there's a really interesting scripture I want to share with you this morning before we kind of get into this thing and land this plane that I think helps us understand what faith is. And this is what it says. This is Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, this sounds super opposite of how most of us live. It says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Or, you know, another way you might say this is like the confidence in the things that we hope for. This confidence that the things we hope for are going to be real, going to be there, going to be true. They're, they're, we're putting this confidence in the things that we're hoping for. And we use this in every kind of aspect in life. Like, think about this. You ever had a job that you hate? Like, you just had a job you hate. Like, you would wake up in the morning and be like, oh my gosh, this job is horrible. I don't want to go to this job. And you hope, you had this hope that there would be some other job that you could have at some point. But if I came to you and said, oh, you hate your job? Then just quit your job. You'd be like, I can't quit my job. I can't quit my job. I've I've got bills to pay. I got things I got to take care of. I got stuff I got to do. Like I, this is this is the job that I have, and it's taking care of things. So I I can't give up this job for what I hope for. See what we we have as humans is most time we have more confidence or assurance in the things that we have than the things we hope for. We we sometimes are having more assurance in what we have. We feel more confidence in what we have than the confidence in what we hope for. And as believers, when we're called to be the hope is that the hope is supposed to be in Christ and, and the life that he has planned for us, it's hard for us to let go of the things that we have sometimes because we know they're there and we feel them and they're real and they're, they're in our grasp. It's hard for us to give up those things for the things that we hope for. So we find ourselves just holding on to what we have. I mean, you see this in relationships. So many times, it's doing student ministry, doing counseling. Doing, you have people who find themselves dating someone. And they would be like, oh, you know, he's just, he was really nice when we first met. Or she was really great when we first met. But now it's kind of just, you know, they don't do some of the same sweet things they did when we first met. Which I'm like, hey, welcome to real life. But, you know, whatever. Like, it's like, you know, like, okay, it's just not the same as it was. And really what they're saying is it's not what I hoped for. And so you can look at that person and go, well, just, you know, don't date that person. But there's a lot of confidence and assurance of having someone there. Like, even if it's not what you hope for, at least it's somebody. At least you have someone. So we put all this confidence in what we, and we'll say things like, oh, you know what? I think I can change them. Ooh, mm, 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 mm. You know, like, but I'm going to hold on to them because it's what I have. And we have more confidence in what we have than what we hope for. And we see this even in people living life. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not a surprise to you guys. You know this. The, the, the rate of suicide has went up in our country, in our world. People literally get to the point in their life where they do not like their life. They don't like their life. For whatever reason, it's gotten to a place where life has become unmanageable. They can't take it no more. And, and maybe you find yourself in the same place where you just struggle with depressing thoughts or thoughts of that you just don't like life anymore. But it's hard to let go of 
what you have, even if it's something that you're struggling with even the existence of, and grab on of what you hope for. I mean, that's why Jesus' invitation is so enticing to those who, if we can ever realize it, and we can ever get a hold of what we hope for, when Jesus says, you know, come to me uh, and I'll give you rest, this whole idea that if you will set your life down and give your life to me, then I'll give you, I'll let you begin to, to have this hope. And then after it says, the conviction of things not seen. So this is like, you know, when you have the confidence of things that are hoped for, we, instead we have this confidence of things we have, then it tells us that we need to have this conviction, or this certainty of things not seen, which sounds crazy to have a certainty of things not seen. We're, we're much more as humans certain of the things we see. Like if you told me, if you came to me and said, hey Q, uh, I'll give you $1,000 today, or next year, I'll give you $50,000. And like, I didn't know you, and you were holding $1,000. You know what I'm doing? I'm grabbing that $1,000. Because I'm certain that $1,000 is right there. Like, I, I, I'm certain that the $1,000 is in front of me. And that's how we live life. Like, we know there's this hope of glory, that there's this hope that of, of heaven, there's this hope of life after, there's this hope of this plan that God has for us. But there's a certainty of the things right now that we see and that we can feel and that we can touch. And so we, we kind of say, like, platitudes about, yeah, yeah, I know that's there, I know that's coming. But we are rooted and we're confident and we're certain of the things that are in front of us right now. And we wonder why we're living a life less than the plan God has for us. It's because our faith is not at a place to take us away from the things that we can see and the things that we have. And the enemy is attacking us that way. The enemy's saying, hey, you can't have any other kind of job than the job you got. Like, that's all you're made for. You're only as good as the job you are in now. You're kind of lucky you even have that job. I know you hate it, but it's okay. Somebody like you, should, you shouldn't be in a job you like. You're not good enough. You should hate it. You know, and you should be afraid. You should be fearful that if you try to do something else, it's going to fail. It is totally going to fail. You're going to be a failure, a complete failure. Don't ever try to do anything else. Don't, what, you think God wants you to go do some mission work or talk to your neighbor or share? The, like, you don't want to do that. You're going to be a, make a mess of it. They're going to become like confused. You're going to be a failure. This is what the enemy says to us. And if we don't have faith in the things, if we don't have this confidence in the things that are hoped for and this certainty in this stuff we can't see, that's the shield of faith we pick up and we, we put on. We defend ourselves against the attack of the enemy. Man, I see it everywhere. Like, the enemy's trying to tell you you're not good at anything. You're not a good parent. You're not a good spouse. You're not a good friend. You're not a good employee. You're not a good employer. How could you ever, how could you ever, ever live any kind of life that God would have planned for you when you can't do these things well? That's the fiery darts. Faith has to defend us. Defend them. Defend us from them. Let me kind of give you a picture illustration for this. Uh, Anna Ruth, if you don't mind, could you help me out? Could you grab your chair, Anna Ruth, and just bring it up here? Awesome. Thank you, Anna Ruth. All right. Now, 
Uh, Anna Ruth, if you'll grab that chair beside Grace and bring it up here too. Yeah. No, 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 on this side of Grace, the chair on this side of Grace. Yeah, that one. Uh, you can fold it up if you need to. It's easier if you... Oh, great. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Now, uh, Anna Ruth, I need you to sit in one of these chairs. Yeah. That's, that's what we do, right? Anna Ruth, why, did you, why didn't you sit in that chair? Yeah. That's it. Thanks, Anna Ruth. I'm going to keep your chair for a second. Sorry, I need it. Can I tell you what I'm afraid's happened in our spiritual life as believers? This is, this is I, I just want you to hear me. It, this gutted me as much as anything as, as I kind of study this and kind of figure this out. And I want you to hear this. Like, I think this is sincerely kind of where we're at. I think the vast majority of us as believers are sitting in the chair we see. And we're saying, I believe in that chair. Yeah, that, that chair's there. Yeah, in fact, like, I, I think that chair is awesome. I mean, that chair is so great. In fact, you know what? On Sundays, I might even come and, like, listen to people teach about that chair. And I might sing some really cool songs about how amazing and how wonderful that chair is. And I'm even going to tell you, man, this chair, that chair has changed my life. The whole time we're sitting in this chair. We're just hanging out in the place that we've been. We're holding on to what's, what we can see, what we can feel. We don't want to dream about this life that maybe God's called us to, or we don't want to think about what it looked like for us to completely surrender ourselves to Jesus. We don't want to look, we don't want to think about what it looks like to actually follow him because that seems scary. And you know, it's crazy. When you read the New Testament and you read about Jesus, there's this one time he comes up to a guy sitting in a chair. And I think that guy would have felt, it would have felt so weird in that moment when Jesus came to him. But this guy is named Matthew. And he's sitting in a chair at a tax collector's booth. And, and let me tell you, that was something he could feel. He was a tax collector. Most people didn't like him, but he knew that job brought in money, brought in lots of money. He, had, he was financially secure. He was politically secure and, and protected. He had a job that, was, that had given him a sense of security, and he knew what it was, and he was there. And this guy named Jesus shows up one day in front of him while he's sitting in that chair that has been his life. And Jesus says, follow me. He's saying, hey, I got a different chair for you. And can you imagine, like, you think, oh, man, he had to weigh that out. Like, he, he probably had to figure out a bunch of stuff and try to figure out if this mattered, if this, if this was going to be a good decision, if he was going to try to figure out how to, how to do this. And, 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 and is, this, is this really a guy that I want to follow? But it's not what happens. In that moment, something stirs him inside. And he gets up. And he leaves that stuff behind and he follows Jesus. Man, faith, faith took him to a different chair. He brought up his shield in that moment. And don't you know the enemy in that moment had to tell him, don't you know he had to deal with the fact all the time of the enemy going, Matthew, you, th you think you can be a disciple? You are a tax collector. People hate you. You cheated people. 
You made a living off of other cheating other people out of their money. And now you think you can be a disciple of Jesus? You think you can tell people what it looks like to live in the kingdom? You have no, no way, no place. Look how bad you are. And this is the same things we hear. You think you can live a life that makes an impact in the world for the gospel? Look who you are. Look how you've messed up. Look how you've done things wrong. The enemy's attacking us constantly, saying there's no way you can be this person. Just hold on to what you've got. This is real. Quit trying to dream about a dream that's never going to happen. This is what you've got. Hang on to the job there. Stay where you stay put. Don't do anything different. Don't dream. Just, just hang on to what's real. That's all that matters. And then there's another chair waiting for us. I guess at the end of this, it's really this question of if, if there's a shield of faith we can take up and faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, like how do we get that faith? Like how do we, how do we get the faith to move from this chair to that chair? Like how do we believe, okay, maybe God does have a plan for me and maybe I really don't want to miss it today. Maybe I really don't want to miss it. May, I know I've said, okay, yeah, I want to live out God's plan for my life. But we've said that as we've said in this chair, looking that way, go, yeah, I want to do what God wants me to do. But what if we really got up and we let God take control of our life and we had faith in what he's called us to do? I think that Matthew, he didn't have all the, the knowledge. And I think that's sometimes what keeps us there. Like if, we, if simply God was like, hey, I want you to go and share your faith with your friends. I want you to go let them know how much Jesus loves them. I want you to figure out a way to, to love your friends and let them know how much Jesus loves them. In our mind, we're going to say things like this. I don't have the right words to say. I don't, I don't know. I, I got to do a lot more studying. I got to read a lot more before I can figure that out. I got I to figure out how to say it and present it the right way. I got to know if they want to come over and maybe they should eat here or maybe we should do like a little cookout or like I, I, maybe I can just like get somebody else to talk to them. We give all these excuses of why we can't do maybe what God's called us to do. Because we don't have enough knowledge, we don't have enough expertise, we don't have enough of the skill set. And again, that's the, I think that's the enemy attacking us. We don't have the faith in the moment to get up and go sit in the chair that we've been called to sit in. And what's crazy is when Matthew is called by Jesus, he doesn't have all these, these answers. Jesus doesn't give him this big dissertation on what your life's going to look like and how it's going to go. In fact, Matthew will die because of his faith. He will be martyred and executed because of his faith. He will go through rough patches because of his faith. It's not like he gets this, this great plan and goes, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that plan. That's great. Now I have enough faith. No, he has faith. And, and here's the reason I think we see Matthew have faith, all the disciples have faith, the early church have faith. And honestly, the people who are doing incredible things in our community, who are living out the plan that God has for them, here's why I think they're doing it. They have figured out a way to take up the shield of faith. And this is the reason why they understand this. It's not what you know, but it's who you know. It's not figuring the whole plan out. It's not trying to figure out, is this chair, like, look good enough? Is this chair going to hold me? Is this chair going to be, like, you know, the right size for me? I'm going to have to share this chair. It's not, it's not trying to figure out every detail about, the, it's about what is going on. It's who is asking you to come sit in the chair. And see, the shield of faith is so powerful because the faith is in Jesus 
when you understand how much Jesus loves you, when you understand that Jesus came 2,000 years ago and God came down as man, and he lived this amazingly perfect life, and he died on the cross, and he rose again on the third day to pay for our mistakes, pay for our sin so that we could have a relationship with God so that this chair could even exist for us, so that we could even have the opportunity to live our lives for Christ, have the opportunity to live our lives for the full potential of what it means to live out the story that God has for us, to live the plan that God has for us, to not miss it. It's all because Jesus made that way. And when you take a second and read the Gospels and you see this incredible love that comes from Jesus, this love that, that brings in those who are far away, brings in tax collectors, brings in those who are sick, and calls them and gives them purpose and makes them part of the mission, makes them part of the first church. How he doesn't turn away people who are struggling. How those who are blind find sight in him. Those who are hungry find food by being around him. Those who are facing death find life in him. It's that man. It's realizing how much Jesus loves us. That while we were at our worst, while we were at our very, very worst, Jesus died for us so that we could have that chair. And when we understand that, when we understand who Jesus is, that is the faith that protects us. So then when the enemy says, Q, you're not good, Q, you're not good enough to get up there and share a message to all those folks. Like, you, you, you've messed up in your life. You're not good enough. You even had a good prayer life this last week. You haven't read enough scripture this last week. You're going to get up there and share the gospel with a bunch of folks. You're not good enough for that, Q. I don't have to explain to him how good I am. All I have to do is like, you know what? I know Jesus. And this is what Jesus has called me to do. And hey, I might, not, I might not think I'm good enough for all those things. I might not have it all figured out, but I know who Jesus is, and that's what I'm going to have faith in. Jesus. And this morning, look, I, I don't know. I, I'm afraid that maybe many of us find ourselves sitting in this chair. We believe that there's another chair. We believe that, you know, that we should be doing things differently, but we can't give up the security and the confidence of what we got our hands on. This morning, it's not about you figuring it out the way before you're able to, to take that step. It's about you understanding who Jesus is. Understanding who Jesus is. I mean, he was here. I love what C.S. Lewis says about Jesus in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, Jesus is either one of three things, and you have to make a decision. Jesus is either a liar, the biggest liar ever. He's either a lunatic, crazy man, or he is Lord. And the more I've studied, the more I've searched, the more I'm just, I'm, I'm just convinced that Jesus was Lord. He came, Son of God, saved us. And so this morning, if, if you're struggling to get out of this chair and live the life, and I don't know what it looks like for you, but you know that there's this plan that God has for you that you've not You've not, you've not done because you've been scared for some reason or the enemy has got you kind of, you know, just tangled up in fear. 
Jesus wants you there. And you ain't got to figure it all out. You just got to know Jesus. How do you know Jesus more? Man, just read about him in the Gospels. Pray to him. Spend time with him. Man, speak to Jesus. Jesus is who you have to know. And knowing Jesus will give you faith. And some of you may be like, I, I don't know Jesus at all this morning. The Bible's really clear. It says that, that we are saved, that we find salvation through Christ. Faith comes through hearing the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus came, he died for you, he rose again. And that belief in that, that belief that Jesus came for you, that is our salvation. That is what opens up the pathway for the door for us. And if you've never done that, you can do that this morning. It's very simple, just saying, I believe. Believing, making that commitment, I believe in you, Jesus. So we're going to have a song. People are going to come out and going to sing a song. We're going to have some time for prayer. But here's my kind of commitment to you. If, if you this morning are stuck in this chair, like I get you. I get stuck here a lot. Self-doubt, insecurities, trying to think about what everybody else is going to think about me when I do whatever I feel like God's called me to do. I get it. But if you can find your way, way over here, if, if we can find our way over here, man, it's a whole new ball game. Then you go to your work, it doesn't just, it's not just about what you can see anymore. It's about all the things God's doing. When you, when you go to your neighbor's house, it's not about like borrowing the wrench anymore. It's about seeing how God's using you to affect your neighborhood. It changes everything if we can get to the place we have faith in the plan that Faith in God that he has a plan for us. We don't want to miss it. It's about who you know. And if you're stuck here this morning and you just need someone to pray for you, I'd love to pray for you this morning as we sing. You want to come down here, I'll pray with you because I get it. This is hard to get up from. Some of us have been sitting in these chairs so long like there's like butt prints in this chair. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know. I've been sitting here a long time. It's hard. But we got to get out of it. Give us faith. 